take a quick survey this morning. And here's the thing. I get it. I understand. There are some health nuts in here. I get it. You don't drink soda, but can you for a moment pretend like you're the rest of us and that you want to be, you want to be unhealthy. So you got to pick one. You don't have a choice. All right. So, um, and when I, when I tell you which one, I want you to make like lots of noise for the one that you would rather drink. All right. So over here I have Pepsi. All right. All right. And then I have, I have Coke over here. Yeah. The correct answer is Coke. This is, <laughs> this is subjective. This is not subjective. It's honesty. That's, that's, that's the answer. So good job. All right. So Coke for many years was the top soda. It was the top selling drink in the world. In the 1940s, President Dwight Eisenhower sent bottles of Coke to the troops serving overseas so they could get a kind of a taste of America as they were fighting for our country. During the 1950s and 60s and 70s, there was another little company known as Pepsi. And they were growing little by little, but they weren't really the monster. They weren't the the conglomerate, so to say, that that Coca-Cola was. But here's the thing. Pepsi over the years has made some bad decisions in, in the past. You may have heard... Of, of a little drink, and this is going to, because I remember it vaguely, but there was a drink called Clear Pepsi. And here's the thing, no one wanted to drink it. It was, no one wanted to drink Clear Pepsi. America said, we want the bad stuff, we want dark Pepsi back. And so Pepsi at some, um, some point said, um, you know, they were going to go after the young crowd, because Coke had the older crowd, and Pepsi said, we're going to go after the, the young people. And so they called it the, the Pepsi generation, and it was this big campaign, and you might have remembered it. And, and then Coke responded with the, with the Pepsi generation with a commercial. And there was lots of people singing it, and I know Coke over the years has had thousands and thousands of commercials, but there was one particular commercial, and everyone was singing in it, and it was really cool, and I'm not going to sing it for you, because I, I just don't do that kind of thing from the pulpit. Um, but here's the thing, I'm sure you can go on YouTube and find the Coke video that I'm talking about. Um, but Pepsi responded to the commercial with what they called the Pepsi Taste Challenge. And you might have remember seeing the commercials, and it was crazy. Like, they would catch people on the street and they would like have these two cups and they wouldn't be there wouldn't be which soda was on which which one and they would say which one would you prefer and every single time every single time they would pick pepsi i i don't know how they did it i it's just crazy to me so it was like a miracle from god every time they picked it, everybody chose pepsi i still can't figure it out but so so at this point in the game coke switches from being just competitive with pepsi to really starting to dislike them. And it's in their dislike of Pepsi that causes them to make one of the worst decisions of all time. Here's how they responded. 
they changed the Coke formula. And some of you remember New Coke. And New Coke suspiciously tasted like old Pepsi. (laughs) The day they did that, and it's a proven fact, Pepsi at their corporate offices, they gave everyone the day off. Because why? Because they had won, right? They they had caused Coca-Cola to compromise everything that they believed in. They compromised their, their formula. And so when then... So when this happened, there was a crazy like outcry from people and outrage from people. And outrage looks much different back then than it does today, doesn't it? Outrage today means getting on Facebook and Twitter and telling everyone how you hate this product. But outrage back then was like telegraphs, I think. And, <laughs> and I think it was like rotary phones you might call your grandma. Tell her how mad you were, right? But back in the 80s, there was, there was a lot of outrage going on over this. Right? And, and so actually Coca-Cola actually got rid of New Coke after several months. And, and here's my point. There's a point to all of this. The same mistake that Coca-Cola makes is the same mistake that we make all the time. When we allow our dislike of, of people as a catalyst for treating them poorly or treating them differently or discriminating or being a jerk to people, we, are, we allow our dislike to take us to those places we never thought would. To take us places to like Facebook and, and gossip. And, and here's the thing, we, we all have those people in our lives that we just don't like. You could be the nicest person in the world, but the reality is, is that we still all have people that we have issues with. Uh, there are some people in this world that are just annoying. Maybe you're one of them. I hope not. Because <laughs> everyone here at HCC is not annoying, right? <laughs> Have you ever gotten into, your, into a fight with your spouse or another family member right before church? That's fun, isn't it? I love those days. <laughs> right? You get to church and you have to put on your church face. You guys do that, right? And, and you get here and, and you guys were singing and worshiping and it's awesome and you're glaring over at them like, this song's for you, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then and then during the sermon you're nudging him yeah this part's for you he's he, he's speaking to you at this part you should be listening right this sermon's one this sermon's for you and and here's the thing and now it's like i like i'm sitting here it's july we're getting ready for vacation bible school the year has flown by right guess what that means the holidays are going to be here before we know it I was, uh, we were at Hobby Lobby because during vacation Bible school season, that's where you spend your off time at Hobby Lobby <laughs> the other day. And uh, they already had all their fall stuff already like in the front, like Halloween stuff. And I'm like, it's too early. But um, they had all their fall decorations out. And, and but, but so that's good news and bad news for some of us too, right? Bad news is because we've got to start, we've got to start thinking about spending time with the people you share DNA with, right? <laughs> Some of you will be sharing your house with people you don't necessarily get along with. And then a month later, you'll be inviting them back for Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever holiday you, you celebrate. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then you know what's really fun, the best part of this all? is spending all that, a lot of money on airline tickets and rental cars and presents and spending all that money um, and spending all the money that you don't have on people that you don't really like. That's fun for the holidays, isn't it? Yeah. 
We all have these people in our lives. And for a lot of us, we work with them. We go to school with them. For some of us, they're our neighbors. And for and some of us, and I get this part, the dislike runs much deeper. Because for some of those people, they've hurt us, or they've manipulated us, or they've taken advantage of us. And maybe they've done the same thing to other people that you know. And I get that, and, and I understand that. But what I'm sharing with, with you about today, it, it doesn't necessarily apply to that. But there are some people that, that have hurt us so bad that, that we have to forgive. There are people in our lives that we must show mercy and grace to. And, and if, you're in a, if you're a believer of Christ, you have to forgive. You don't have an option when it comes to this. You're commanded to forgive. And just because you forgive doesn't mean you have to let that person back into your life. There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. But today we're talking about the annoying people. The people you really don't like. I'm talking about the people who have different political beliefs, different theological beliefs. I'm talking about the people that have different morals and values than you. I'm talking about the people that live different lifestyles than you. I'm talking about the people that, that you don't like and maybe they don't like you back. And right now we're going through this series where we're talking about mercy and grace. And, and if you're going to be a person that lives for Christ, you have to show mercy and grace to other people. Our ultimate goal in life is to glorify and, and honor and worship God. God gets the glory when we show mercy and grace to others. When you are, when you are showing mercy and grace to others, you are showing that, that you live life to honor and glorify Him. And if you're living a life that honors and glorifies God, you're going to have to deal with people. That's just how it works. You have to deal with all kinds of people, including the people that you don't like. But Jesus wants you to love them. And, and listen to this next point, please. If, if there's nothing else you, you get out of this, please listen to this point. We should never use our relationship with Jesus as a catalyst to treat people poorly. Our relationship with Jesus should actually drive us to treat people well. If you're here and, and you're and you're not used to, to going to church, or, or, or maybe you haven't been in a while, you probably understand a little bit what I'm talking about here. Christians aren't really well known for treating people well, and, and with whom they disagree, especially American Christians. And we know that, right? You turn on the news and, and watch all the political debates and, and who's who and all that, we know that. And, and here's the thing. Some of you are not going to agree with me on this. And, and that's okay. You'll get over it, and I'm still right. But listen, listen. <laughs> listen. Never call yourself a mature Christian if you treat people poorly. You're not mature. You're still a little baby Christian. You don't have any maturity at all. Andy, I, I know all the Bible verses. I've been a Christian for, for X amount of years. I've gone to the Beth Moore concert and to the men's retreat and, and I've been on X amount of mission trips. I've got the Hebrew and the Greek memorized and, and I've got a th deep theological understanding of the Bible. Great. Head knowledge has never equaled maturity. 
Maturity is shown when you and I love people. Maturity is shown when, when we offer mercy and grace to people the same way that Jesus did. I love all the people here at church and here at HCC who have, who have a ton of head knowledge, but I'll tell you what, I'll love you even more if you love people the way that we're called to do so. And today we're going to read about a principle that Jesus talked about. And it, it's going to be applicable to us whether we believe in Jesus or not. And if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open up them to Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. And while you're doing that, I'm going to give you a little bit of context of what we're going to be talking about. Matthew is the very first book of the New Testament. It is written by, by one of Jesus' 12 disciples. It was an eyewitness account of everything Jesus did. Everything that Matthew writes down has been authenticated. It's real and it's the truth. But Matthew wrote down everything he heard, everything he had heard. All these events that we read about are real in the book of Matthew. Matthew is writing to all Christians, but his main audience here is the Jewish people. And he's, he's, prov he's, he's proving throughout the gospel that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the anointed one, that he is Christ, the Son of God, our Savior. That's what he's trying to get across. Throughout the book of Matthew, people call him over and over again. We read this over, Son of David. He's making the Jewish connection because the Messiah was going to be the Son of David. This is what he wanted to get across to them, especially, especially the Jewish people, that Jesus was the Messiah. And the reason he wanted to make sure they understood who he said, who he, said he was, because Jesus was, was not the Messiah they were expecting, right? You see, the Jewish people, they were expecting a strong militant leader, a conquering Messiah. And the reason for this is because Israel occupied the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was brutal, right? They crucified thousands and thousands of people. They and so the Jewish people wanted somebody to come and say, hey, I'm the Messiah, we're going to kill Caesar, we're going to take over Rome, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna be number one because they don't, want, they don't share our values or our morals. And, and they also said, we don't like the government. So they wanted Jesus to come in and say, be a, one of those conquering messiahs, a conquering savior. And so now we're joining Jesus in chapter 5, at one of his most um, famous sermons, right, he's, he's ever preached. It's the Sermon on the Mount, and it's his inaugural sermon, right? Jesus has been preaching, and it's been challenging up to this point. And these are going to be, and, and the words we're about to read are going to be even more challenging as we keep reading along. And as we begin to read, it's going to be some of the most challenging passages, I believe, that you and I have to deal with throughout the Bible. And I pray, I pray today that the words we read are challenging to you as well. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 says, You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a truth. By the way, and I have to admit this, I'm really good at that. Right? We're really good at getting even. We're, we're all really great at that. Verse 39, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. This is huge here. This is a huge scripture. Back in the Old Testament, back in the, in the Old Covenant, we are under the, right now we're under the covenant of grace, right? Jesus says here, you were, you were allowed for a season to get even, but that's not how it is anymore. If someone slaps you, you give them the other cheek. 
Jesus is saying, don't defend yourself, right? He's saying, here, here's what he's saying. Hey, you need to go to extremes to love people that don't, that don't love you and the people that you don't like. And then if he says, if anyone sues you, you give them your coat. People back then would have laughed at that. They, they couldn't grasp that. And you know why? Because today we don't laugh at that. You know why? You see, back then they lived in a two-garment society. If, if they gave away both their coats or their suits, they'd be in their birthday suit, right? But now today we live in a 5, 10, 15-garment society. Jesus is saying, go to extremes to have peace with people you don't like and with the people that don't like you. And then he gives this, this last illustration. This is probably the, the one where some people are like, I'm out. I can't buy into this Jesus thing. I can't, I'm not doing it. He said, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Roman soldiers could, could force anyone to carry their pack for a mile back then. And usually a Roman soldier pack was extremely heavy. And you had no choice but to do it, but to carry it. And Jesus is, says here, when they ask you to do that, take it another mile. Hold on, Jesus. That's what you're thinking, right? Hold on, Jesus. We need to protest. We need to hold up signs. This isn't right. These people, the Roman government, don't share my values. They don't believe in my morals. They don't share my theological beliefs. They make bad decisions all the time. We need to protest this, Jesus. These people killed my family. They killed my friends. And they're occupying our land. I can't stand this government. Jesus says, no, you serve them. You go two miles. He doesn't say post angry Facebook and Twitter statuses. Jesus says, you love the people you don't like. And then continue on in verse 42. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to, to borrow from you. I have a huge problem with this one. I don't like letting people borrow my stuff because so often my stuff comes back broken or it doesn't work or I can't use it ever again, right? I love the story of our, our senior minister tells us about, about his father-in-law letting, letting John borrow his brand new F-150 truck. And, and John says his father-in-law would say this, that God provided it and that it was a blessing to have it. Who am I not to let you borrow it? Here, Jesus is not saying to be a pushover. Again, he's saying, go to extremes to have the people, to, to, to love the people that, you, that don't like you and the people that you don't like. Verse 43. You have, you have heard that it, is, it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemy. By the way, I'm really good at this one too. I can do this really well. If someone doesn't like me, that's fine. I don't like them, right? You give me $200 or we'll be friends, right? But you take away my $200, I don't like that, right? And, and that's why I don't like paying my cell phone bill, right? Because I got to give them $200 every month, right? We, we, don't, we like getting things for free. We don't like giving things to people, right? Verse 44 says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I really wish Jesus said here, disdain your enemies, gossip about your enemies, ignore your enemies. But Jesus doesn't say that, does he? He says, pray for those who persecute you because Jesus understood something. And I want to challenge you, you with it today. If, if you don't like someone, I want to challenge you with this today. Pray for them. Pray for them every day for 30 days. And, and I'll tell you what, 
it's really hard to dislike someone that you've been praying for on a consistent basis every single day. Jesus knows if you give love a chance, love always overcomes pride. Always. Verse 45. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteousness and, and unforgiven. We, right here, we call this the doctrine of, uncom- of uncommon grace. And it means whether or not you believe in Jesus, whether you, not, you believe, uh, you get, you, we all get common grace. We all get it. It means we get air to breathe. Uh, we get to live on this planet within this ecosystem. You get water. We get food. We get clothing. We all get common grace. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you get special grace. You get salvation. You get the Holy Spirit. You get spiritual gifts. You get the church. And I got to say this eternal life thing, it's a great retirement plan if, if you haven't checked it out yet. We get all these great benefits, but it means that God allows bad things to happen to good people and good things to happen to bad people. Have you ever had a problem with someone? Let's take Bob, for instance. Bob's a jerk. And maybe you've, you've had it up to here with Bob. Maybe, maybe you don't pray much, but this time you went to God and you prayed and you prayed one night and you were venting to God and you said, Bob did this and Bob did that and I can't stand him. And, and, if, and, and I think here's the thing. I think a lot of times when we, when we don't like someone, and we start praying prayers like that, we kind of think God's on our side, right? We kind of think God, God doesn't like Bob either, right? And so maybe the next day you go to work and, and you're like, all right, God, we're on the same page. Neither of us like Bob, right? And so you, you go to church, right? And, or you're not to church, you go to work and you find out that Bob got the promotion and you didn't. And you're like, God, what's up? We had a deal. We both didn't like Bob, and yet you're, he's, got a, he's got a promotion, right? Maybe, just maybe, God loves Bob just as much as he loves you. Maybe there are things in Bob's life you don't know that are, maybe are going on or that you don't know about. Maybe it's true what Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 2. Paul wrote that it is God's kindness that, that leads to repentance. Maybe it's our kindness that will lead other people to repentance. Matthew chapter 5, verse 46 says, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Here's the thing, back then nobody liked tax collectors. Uh, the stereotype was that normally a tax collector was a, a Jewish man who was part of a, a community who worked for the Roman government, and, and the Roman government was obviously the occupying pagan force. And those tax collectors, they would collect your taxes, but then they would also collect some more taxes and put it in their pocket on the, on the side so they could get paid, right? And Jesus says, you think you're different than them? You're not. Here's Jesus' point. You can know much about theology and ministry and read all the latest books and know everything about prophecy, but if you don't treat people well, especially those that you don't like, you are acting as if you don't believe in God. And that cut them to the heart when they heard that. That 
that cuts me to the heart when I hear that. There's times when I catch myself doing that, and that's, that's tough. And then in verse 48, Jesus ends with some of the, the deepest words in the Bible, and it's so easy to, to skim over this and, and keep going, but verse 48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word perfect in the original language means whole, complete, lacking in nothing. Here's what you need to understand. If you, if you aren't in a relationship with Jesus, you're not good enough to do it on your own. You're not talented enough. You're not good enough. The only reason we go to heaven is through the Lord Jesus Christ because of His mercy and grace. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. We are saved by Jesus, Christ dying on the cross, and when we believe in Him, His blood covers all our sins, past, present, and future. No matter what we've done, His blood covers everything we've done. Isn't that good news? Amen? Amen, yeah. And here's what God does. He allows difficult people and trials to come into your life. If you have a trial going on in your life right now, I guarantee you this, it didn't catch God by surprise. He knew before you were born. God has never promised to rescue you from your trials. God has promised to journey with us through them. And this is why, this is why I don't believe in like the health and wealth prosperity gospel, right? I don't think it's God at all. Here's what Jesus says in, in John 16. In this world, you will have trouble. He never promised everything would be easy. But then he says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. It is through a relationship with Jesus that we can walk through the fire. God uses the difficult people in our lives to form us more into the image of his son. And here's how I want to sum up today's message in this this short phrase. Love has no exception clause. Love has no exceptions. Love has absolutely no exception clause. Some of you need to tattoo this somewhere. Some of you need to write this down in your Bible. Some of you need to write this down in your, your bulletin today. Some of you need to write this down at your desk at work or on the bathroom mirror so you see it every day. Love has no exception clause. God's love doesn't have exceptions. The gospel is not, not about who God is against. The good news of Jesus is about who God is for. He's for everyone. God is for people coming to salvation. God is for people. He is not against them. It should be easy for people to look at you and find compassion, kindness, and gentleness. It should be so easy for people to find Jesus in you, but it's not always, right? Sometimes it's hard for people to find Jesus even in me. Ask my wife, right? (laughs) And for a lot of us, we become different people. Like, here's the thing, like, you guys know this, right? Sometimes we, we become different people when we get behind the wheel, right? You're like, who did you become? Like, we get in traffic and you just, you're a whole different person, right? It's hard to find compassion, kindness, and gentleness in us for some of us after a long day of work, right? And yet we're called to have it. Here's a, here's a random question I want to ask you guys. Here's, uh, me. all right, so here's what I think of, here's what I think Jesus is trying to teach us from this passage in Matthew chapter 5. Focus on how you love, not on what what others do. Focus on on how you love, not on what others do. Focus on how you love and not what others do, because here's what we do. We look at how someone else treats, treats us, 
And we allow that to be the catalyst for how we go out and treat other people or how we go out and treat them back. Jesus says no. When you become a Christian, you have a new playbook. It's different. We don't operate in the world standards. We have a different procedures for how we handle conflict. Jesus says you focus on you first and then you look at somebody else. When we focus on what others do over how we love, we don't have any idea of the influence we're, we're missing out on in the lives to make a difference in their lives. And here's how I want to close today. When you follow Jesus, you give up all your rights. You've given them up. You've given up your right to gossip. You've given up your right to discriminate, to complain. You've given up your right on, 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 on your right to treat people poorly. You can't do that anymore. And you've given up all your rights because love has no exceptions when you become a Christ follower. When you start doing these things, you are acting like the person you were before you knew Jesus. Here's what, here's what I want you to do this week. I want to challenge everyone to, to do this this week. Uh, I want you to love on people that need to be loved the most. And, and I'm, I get it. We, we support things like the Downtown Rescue Mission. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the people that, that you don't necessarily get along with or the people that you know don't like you. I'm talking about the, the people in your life uh, that are annoying, right? Do things for them, right? Write them an encouraging note. Buy them a gift card. Take them out to lunch. Take them out to dinner. You need to take the, that next step to be able to love the people that need it most. You have no idea what hangs in the balance of loving people that need it the most. And one last thing, and I promise, I promise, I'm gonna, I, I want to close with this story. All right? Caleb Catlinbach is a pastor at a church in California. And he recently wrote a book called Messy Grace, and he spoke at the North American Convention a, a few years ago. And in his book, he talks about, about being two years old. Both of his parents divorced when he was two, when he was young. And at that time is when his parents came out of the closet. His whole childhood, he was raised by a gay man and two lesbians. He was raised in the gay and lesbian community. His mother was very politically active, and Caleb tells a story of marching in all the gay pride parades and going to all the rallies. And, and he says in his book, I hated Christians. He saw how they treated his mother and his father and the people that he loved the most, and he wanted nothing to do with them. He tells of, of one particular story. In one parade they were marching in, and, and at the end of it he sees Christians holding up their signs saying things like, God hates you. God has no room for you. And then Caleb goes on to tell that they were spraying water and urine all over them. When he asks his mom why they were acting like this, his mom says, Caleb, they're Christians. Christians hate gay people. Christians don't like people who are different from them. Well, as, as Caleb grows up and he decides that he wants to see what Christians are all about and he actually joins a Bible study and becomes a Christian himself in high school and goes on to, to be a pastor at a church and, and loves it. And he's still a Christian to this day. This is what Caleb says, though. This is what he says. You can love other people without sacrificing your convictions. You don't have to choose the, the person of, of... You don't have to choose the person or your own convictions. You can love both. You can live in the tension of grace and truth. Caleb goes on to say that his parents actually became Christians. 
And it wasn't because of all the theological knowledge, but they really started believing in Jesus when they saw the kindness people showed to them. When they saw the Christians didn't look at their lifestyle choice as a determining factor of whether to love them or not. Love has no exception clause. And neither should you. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, um, God, we, we look at our lives and realize sometimes uh, we, we ourselves, even myself, we, we treat people less than average. Um, God, this morning I pray that, that maybe this morning we can maybe just start over. Maybe a new starting point. God, from here on out, we will love without exception. God, we know in this vast world there are so many people that believe so many different things. And you created us that way. And yet, God, you call us to love each and every single one of them. And God, this morning I stand up here and we are in such awe of you and we are so thankful for the way that you loved us. We're thankful for the mercy and grace that you showed in our lives. God, we pray that we can just be a little bit like that as we go out this week. God, thank you for the way that you do love us. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.